Hello and welcome to The Consistency Project with E.C. Sinkowski. My name is Patrick Cummings and every episode I have the privilege of having a discussion with E.C. on subject matters that range from nutrition to fitness to the choices we can all make to live a healthier, more functional life. By exploring both the principles at play and the actions worth carrying out as a result, it is our goal to get you thinking, get you moving, and get you taking more consistent steps toward optimizing your well-being. Thank you, as always, for tuning in. How are you, EC? I'm good. How about you? I'm fantastic. I am excited about this conversation. In our previous conversation, we talked a lot about the marketing hacks that we often maybe fall victim to or don't understand enough to see with some amount of clarity. And a number of times in that conversation, you mentioned that the issue with these marketing claims is that they're not taking into account the quantity, (laughs) the element of quantity, right? And so I'm excited to talk to you about today about figuring out, well, what is the right quantity? How do we figure out what the right quantity is? And so we're going to dive into that today. Where should we begin? What's the right background? What's the the right context for folks to understand as we kind of get into this? Yeah, I mean, a little bit sort of similar to the last podcast. I feel like we've kind of covered some of these concepts as well. But I, I mean, this is definitely something where I get routine questions on all of the time. And so I thought, you know what, let me Instead of maybe having a little bit here and a little bit there and a quick yeah. bites episode, maybe pull it together, hopefully in a very linear train of thought so that people kind of go from start to finish on this topic. So we'll see if we get it done. Awesome. Love that. Before we do, I'm going to totally throw us off on a tangent because yeah. there was a question I was I thought about in our last conversation, but I thought it made more sense knowing that this conversation was coming is one of the things that I just, again, just from my very outside perspective, I've witnessed maybe, and it's just kind of in our sort of world, the community that we are part of, is this huge move from like, quantity doesn't matter. Like, it's all about the quality. And it's almost like, have we moved too far away from the idea that quantity actually matters? And maybe it's just like a healthy person problem. Like we just, we're just pretending that it doesn't matter or doesn't count. Because like a lot of times we, you know, again, in that last episode, we talked about a number of things where it's like, oh, well, we're getting vitamin A and we're getting taurine and that's good. And we're being healthy because that quality is good. And that's important without the recognition that, well, yeah, but the quantity now is getting all screwy louied. Right. And so just first question, like right out of the gate, I'm just really curious from your perspective, like we just fell for the quality thing too hard. And now we've got to pull ourselves back to recognizing that it does matter the quality, but it also matters just as much the quantity. Like, do we just like overcorrect it too far? Yeah. I mean, I think one of my favorite things is that word and right. Coming back Mm. to the concept that you know, multiple things have to be true for us to get this nutrition thing right. And we tend to want to swing between either or. And it it seems, I I don't know why I always describe it like this. I don't know if other people resonate with this, but I feel like mainstream nutrition, we're just on the spin cycle of a washing machine. Mm. It's just round and round we go of the various concepts when it's like, okay, and (laughs) quality (laughs) and quantity. And the other thing is they're often related, right? The magic of the 800 gram challenge or the magic of paleo is when you focus on quality, you tend to get quantity more in line than Mm -hmm. necessarily the other way. So there is a relationship there, but they don't always just happen that way. But so yeah, we need quality and quantity. And when you're focusing on either one exclusively, you, you will probably have some problems. Got it. Okay. So let's dive into this conversation about quantity specifically. Does it make sense to start maybe by, I don't know, just even defining what you mean or what we mean when we say quantity? Of course, set the stage. You know, when we talk about quantity, how much quantity you're eating, how much food you're eating, 
This has to be measured in calories or macronutrients, not fullness, not plate size, not what types of food you're eating, not telling me that you're eating quality foods, not telling me that you're not eating that much, not perceptions about what your serving size should be. It needs to be measured in calories or macronutrients. That's it. That's how we measure quantity. And it can be either of those calories or macronutrients because they are related, right? Macronutrients give us this finer control of body composition that most people in our audience, I think, care about body composition performance than just focusing on calories. But both are units of measurement in terms of how much food you're eating. And and remember that relationship is such that every macronutrient gram has an equivalent number of calories in it because every macronutrient can be used for energy. They'll be used for other things too, but protein, carb, and fat can be used as energy. That's why we can convert macronutrients to calories. And so, like I said, I think our group is a little bit more macronutrient focused than just total calories focused. Fine enough. If you get to a certain number of protein, carb, and fat grams at the end of a day, I can tell you they've also eaten a certain number of calories. You don't have calories without macronutrients. You don't have macronutrients without calories. And that's how we measure quantity. Got it. Cool. Okay. So in advance of this, you sent me the three big kind of topics, the the things that you can consistently kind of get questions about as it relates to determining quantity. And so they are, uh, and we're going to break down each one of these. The first one is determining how much to eat. The second is how to know that that's the right amount. And then the third is reasons you might not be losing weight anyways. (laughs) And so let's do the first one first. And that last one certainly has a couple parts to it, but we will dive into that as the episode goes. But the first one first, how should a person determine how much to eat. Please give me the answer, EC, then the I don't have to think. The magic number, the magic yes. number, the number of calories you should eat <laughs> every day and how those calories should be divided into protein, carbohydrate, and fat grams. And, and we definitely have covered this, but I, I think we need to kind of keep reviewing it, partially because my opinion, I think, is different than some other sources out there. I know it's different than some other sources out there. The way that I recommend people figure out how many calories, how many macronutrients that they should eat is to weigh and measure every single thing they eat for a week. Everything. They're not going to try to be good. They're not going to try to change what they're eating. They're just going to weigh and measure every single thing that they eat for a week. And they can use an app like MyFitnessPal. They're going to record everything, you know, whether or not it's the olive oil to help cook the veggies, whether or not it's a half piece of pizza from the kid's dinner that they're finishing up, every snack, every meal, everything. And so at the end of the week, what you have have is, you know, on Monday, you had this many calories and it was broken into this many macronutrients. Same thing for Tuesday, all the way for the seven days. And you're going to see some variation there. That That's natural and that's fine. Some days are going to be much higher than others. That, that's called life. And with, <laughs> with this kind of total on every single day, we can then figure out an average for the week, right? We can figure out an average number of calories that you ate each day, an average number of protein, carbohydrate, and fat grams. And that's your current daily average intake. Now, is that amount, how much that you're currently eating, is that the amount of food you should eat? Probably not. I mean, if you're going through this exercise, I'm guessing it's because you want to change your current weight, right? If you're happy where you currently are, you probably aren't interested in going through this exercise. So if you want to lose weight, you know that that amount that you're currently averaging is too much and you would need to eat less than those averages. And if you want to gain weight, you know that that average is too little and you would need to eat more. And and so that's how you figure out how much to be eating. You look at what you're currently eating and compare it to where you want to go. You mentioned this isn't maybe the common or the most common approach. Can you just maybe walk us through like, what are the other approaches? What else would somebody else 
advise you do or advise somebody do to get to this thing that they're we're trying to get to? Yeah, I mean, I think the other approaches are you go to a website or you go to an app and you plug in your weight, height, age and activity level and you're told a number. I mean, that's even mm. what happens with nutrition coaches. You know, people don't love it when I tell them that we're going to do this process of a week to figure out what they need to be eating. They want me to tell them, okay, Patrick, you're supposed to be eating 2,340 calories with 150 grams of protein, this many carbs and fat, et cetera. You know, there's a few reasons I like this approach, but you know, one of the big things here, if, if you're not interested in doing this process of determining what your numbers are that you're currently eating, I don't think you're particularly interested in knowing how much you should eat. You know, mm. it, it's almost a, a quick screen of your level of interest, <laughs> because as we've talked about before, these changes that happen in weight or body composition, they take time. You know, even if you want to lose five pounds, we could be looking at two months to do it sustainably. And so if you aren't looking interested in, in doing this process for a week, you, you sure aren't interested in doing it for eight weeks. <laughs> right. Mm. And so I think it's almost like a first screen of, well, are you actually in or out? I do think, though, that people think they're also wasting their time with this because instead of me saying, okay, Patrick, hit these exact numbers, I'm saying, okay, Patrick, we're going to figure out these numbers. And so they don't have specific numbers to, to shoot for. And so they think that it's just not worth it. There's kind of two thoughts that are lost there. The first is the real magic of weighing and measuring your foods happens by actually doing the process, not by starting out at some perfect numbers. You know, there's a lot of confusion when people go between websites and apps and it's like these numbers, you know, this website says this and this coach says this. Why are the numbers so different? It's because they're all estimates. We need to get started somewhere, anywhere, get started, see what happens. And that's how we find perfect numbers. We don't have perfect numbers to start. We find perfect numbers by doing. And so that's the first thing is that, you know, people want perfect numbers to start. It's like they don't exist. We have to get started. And, you know, we just basically look at inputs and outputs. We look at what you're eating and your body composition, and that's going to get us where we need to go over time. This does mean you could take any numbers from a website, from a coach, from me, and get started with them. And you will also go through a process of getting to the perfect number. So we could maybe not do this week of observation first. You know, you eat a certain amount of food that the website says. If you lose weight and that's what you wanted, you know that you can stick to those numbers. If you don't lose weight and that's what you wanted, you know, you need to change those numbers. But again, where you start doesn't matter as much as implementing it, seeing the results and then making the changes. I do think observation of what you're currently doing is slightly better than just picking any number, although ultimately we'll get to the, the right outcome is because chances are you're going to have a more realistic starting point when you look at what you're currently doing than what in website is just estimating for you, mm. right? We figure out what you're currently eating. We compare that to your weight or body composition and we tweak from there. When we start with the numbers off a website, we might need two weeks to consistently know if those numbers are changing you in any significant way. As we talked about in the water weight podcast, there's going to be, you know, there's going to be changes mm -hmm. that we don't always see that fast right away. And those numbers off of a website might be higher or lower than your current intake. So we don't actually know where they are relative to where you want to go. So instead, we start where you are, we know where you want to go, and we make the change. It's almost like we're able to cut out a step that way. And, and so those are the reasons why I really like people to observe where they currently are. I, I think it's actually more efficient, although it certainly doesn't feel that way because you don't have an answer on day one. You sent over the second issue is that is for people to know if what they are eating is the right amount 
which is there's <laughs> those feel like the one and two are very similar. So let's unpack maybe or pull them apart and, and, and figure out why are they the same and why are they different? Yeah, they, they certainly are related. You know, if you're eating a certain number of calories or macronutrients and your weight body composition is moving in the direction that you want it to, then that's a good indication the quantity is the right amount, right? But, but sometimes it's asked independent of people weighing and measuring because what I'll say things, mm. you know, eating the right amount of quantity is associated with better health outcomes. And so people want to know, well, am I eating the right quantity? Right. <laughs> you know, and I think a really simple check to know if you're eating the right quantity is, is are you maintaining a healthy weight? And we've certainly talked at length about this before that one marker can't give us your entire health picture. It doesn't tell us everything that we need to know about you. So ideally we're not only going to use your weight to classify your health. And so, so weight is a good one to consider. Of course, if you're lean and muscular, you're not going to get wrapped around the axle that your BMI is slightly high, that you, you know, you can also look at your healthy body fat percentage and be comforted that you're in a healthy weight range. But then also check on these health markers that we've talked about before, fasting glucose, HG1C, cholesterol, triglycerides, you know, you're going to make sure that they're healthy ranges and perhaps more important that they actually are just staying there. So every year that you get them checked, they're not trending away from healthy. They're staying constant in healthy ranges. And, and that's a pretty good way to check that, you know, what you're eating is the right amount. What's your weight? What's your body comp? You know, especially if you have more muscle and what do your health markers look like? And that's a good indication if you're getting the quantity right. Now, I just want to go down a slightly tangent nuance here is because we did that whole podcast on health versus weight. And so I don't want to get too in the weeds, but one of the pushbacks that we have when, or I have, when I say, okay, we're going to use weight as a metric for health is that there are some individuals out there who are what are known as metabolically healthy obese, meaning they're overweight for their frame, but their health markers are healthy. They come into the normal ranges. And I bring this up because this is where we have sort of the weight and the health that I just said to check in on might not line up. And, you know, a couple things here. I, I'm really not interested, again, I, I'm not interested in telling people what they should or should not do. I'm just trying to present the evidence the best that I can. You can choose what you want to do with your weight based on that. One of the issues, though, here with the metabolically healthy obese is that being metabolically healthy now doesn't mean your lifetime risk stays the same. And so I was looking at a paper that I'll put in the show notes that was looking at these metabolically healthy obese individuals. And it says that about 30 to 50% of them become metabolically unhealthy four to 20 years after the follow-up, right? So you could maybe have good health markers now and be overweight. And that turns into not good health markers in five, 10 years, right? So we have to be careful about looking at these single snapshots in time when we want health in the long term. And the other thing that I just like to caution people about, about gaining too much weight in their 20s or 30s, is just those orthopedic quality of life issues. You know, osteoarthritis, severe joint pain. We've had questions about knee replacements. These all can severely impact someone's quality of life, even if their fasting glucose is fine, right? So the point being here is if you're looking for the least risky approach to know if you're eating the right amount of food, I would look at your weight and I would look at your health markers and just maintain them in healthy ranges, not extreme athletic ranges, healthy ranges throughout life. Got it. Okay. Those are the first two. And just as a reminder, they were determining how much to eat and then determining how to know if that's the right amount. And then we're kind of getting to the real meat of the issue here, which is given all that people still not losing weight. We have a few pieces here, or rather, this is probably a more nuanced, more complicated answer. So where do we start for those folks? 
Yeah. So I feel like I have kind of three topics to hit on this, this problem of not losing weight. And, and the first one is people who are eating certain types of food and they're not losing weight. And so mm. the questions that I get related to this are people will tell me, I eat lots of fruits and veggies. I eat whole foods. I eat lean proteins. I don't have dairy. I don't have sugar. I don't have alcohol, right? This is perfectly clean diet. I'm not losing weight. What's going on? And for, for that, I need to bring people back to the first concept of, hey, unless you have the evidence of calories or macronutrients, we have no clue what you're eating in terms of how much, right? Mm. Now, it is harder to, and I think we kind of started off with this, it is harder to eat too much quantity when you're focusing on quality. They are related, but especially in our marketing industry and so many different products available, you can do a lot of damage on almond butter and cacao powder and bacon, <laughs> you know, combinations out there. You can do, you set yourself back a lot calorically. So types of food, when people tell me what types of food they're eating, it's sort of like telling me that, you know, certain hours of the day that they eat. There is often a correlate to quantity, but it's not foolproof. We need the data in terms of calories or macronutrients. I don't need the list of foods. I don't need to do paleo or not. I don't need gluten or alcohol or not. I need calories or macronutrients. And of course, it needs to be data for a few weeks because of, as we've discussed, there is some natural fluctuations that occur in these in this couple pound range. So that was the first one, certain types of foods. What is the second of the three issues? Yeah. So the first one, we don't really have the data that we need. The second one is they say, okay, look, I am weighing and measuring everything I eat and it's a certain number of calories and I'm not losing weight. And it often is going to be a female reporting close to 1200 calories, which is, which is kind of very low for what average women eat. And men might be something closer to 16, 1700 calories. So they're telling me I'm only eating this low number of calories on average. Women get 2000 on average, men get 2,500 and I'm not losing weight. And so the expectation mm. would be, they should be if those were the number of calories they're eating. Okay. Hell with the numbers for a second. There really is no secret in weight loss. If you are not losing weight, you are not in a caloric deficit. If you're not losing weight, you are not in a caloric deficit. And again, small disclaimer, rare genetic conditions, medications, we're not talking to them. We're talking about the majority of people who can't lose weight. You're not in a caloric deficit. Now, the problem is, you know, let's just take the woman example, eating 1200 calories a day. Mm -hmm. She's going to be like, so you're telling me to eat less than 1200 calories a day? Generally, no, I'm not. Generally, what I'm telling you is that your log is wrong. What you are reporting mm. in terms of how much you're eating is incorrect. And on average, you're very likely to be eating more, which I, which I know is hard to hear because they're doing all of this work and creating the log. And sometimes it's because they've only done it for two or three days and they've been really pristine for two or three days. They haven't actually done it for four weeks. But the more common issue is under-reporting. It just, you're not reflecting everything that, that goes in your mouth. And we talked about this at some point, you know, there could be shame, there could be just forgetfulness. We, we aren't really very good at reporting all of the things. And so we know that this under-reporting happens time and time again. Yeah, it's interesting. For some reason, what popped in my head is like, and, and you and I have seen it a thousand times, which is like in the gym, some people just aren't good at counting their reps <laughs> and it's not because they're, they're trying to cheat. It's not because yeah. like, it's just, that's not a thing that, and to me, it's like, it's very similar. It's like some people like it's, it's just hard to remember to, okay, the thing, okay, God, I got to go log that. And 15 minutes later, what was it? Was it 200 or was it a hundred? And I don't know, it's 150. Right. And so you just kind of like go through the day ballparking things. And then the ballpark is like, well, that's a ballpark, but that's not actually it. Right. To your point. We've talked about this before, this idea of underreporting. So where, 
I know you can't get the, you know, pristine data on, I know it's a hard thing to be sure, but like, where does your confidence come as it relates to this being as big an issue as, as clearly you think it is, this idea of underreporting? Where does that come from? Is that just from having worked with enough folks to have a sense of it? Because I know like you're not in the kitchen with everybody no. all the time, so it'd be hard for you to know for sure. But like, how do you, how did you come to this or how do you come to this realization that this is actually one of the bigger issues? Yeah, I'm not with people. And so that's what's hard is because you're basically telling them that they're wrong and you don't really have evidence of what they're doing and what they're eating. But there's a lot of studies that look at this. There's a lot of studies that compare what people are burning versus what they're reporting. And there's huge discrepancies. And the most accurate way to look at this underreporting issue is with a technique called doubly labeled water, where essentially Mm. people drink water and the hydrogen and oxygen has been chemically tagged. And so scientists can trace how it's used and they take urine and saliva samples. And basically they're able to figure out how many calories this person is burning each day. And so they compare that value, how many calories they're burning each day, to the number of calories people say they ate. And Mm. this is where we have this big difference. And if there is a big difference, people should be losing weight because they're eating less calories than they're burning or that they need every day. And, And they've even done these studies in individuals who say, I'm very resistant to weight loss, that they'll say, you know, I can't lose weight. I've tried everything. I'm only eating 1,200 calories a day and I can't lose weight. Or people that are just weight stable, they've looked at this. And I'm going to put a few of the studies in the show notes because they're just they're just amazing to look at the data. There was one with Brazilian women. They would be reporting that they ate close to 2,000 calories a day when they actually found they were burning 2,600 calories a day. That's a huge difference, right? 600 calories a day. In another study... On average, people would report about 80% of the calories they actually burned, where it actually dropped to a lower reporting percentage if the individuals were previously overweight or obese. So said another way, people report underreport about 20% of their intake, and if, they're, if they have a history of being overweight, it gets worse. In another study, and this was a very small study, it was only 10 people, it was done specifically with obese patients that had reported that they have very low intakes and they can't lose weight. First of all, they measured their thyroid hormones, which we're going to get into a little bit, but they had normal levels of thyroid, so it wasn't a hormonal thing. And then they found that these individuals underreported by at least several hundred calories a day. In some examples, people are reporting, you know, they only ate seven or 800 calories, but they were burning 2,300 calories. You know, people reporting that they ate 1,100 or 1,500, but they were burning 2,100 or 3,000 calories. And so if they were reporting correctly, these people would lose weight very easily. Another study found that obese subjects who repeatedly fail to lose weight often report less than eating 1,200 calories a day, but they found, quote, the diet-resistant subjects underreported their actual food intake by an average of 47% and overreported their physical activity by 51%, end quote. Wow. And there's more studies than this. The deal is we have evidence that specifically, more specifically, people who are struggling with weight loss, basically everybody underreports, but people who struggle with the most underreport even more. And, mm. and again, this isn't an intentional lying thing. We aren't very good at this. And so when people tell me I'm only eating this very low number of calories and I'm not losing weight, it's okay. Now, well, now we got to find the error. <laughs> we got to mm. find the error somewhere. And, you know, maybe it's that they just forgot about something. Maybe, you know, they don't want to report it or whatever. But I do want to also just take a step back really big picture and bring up a couple scenarios that I think we all know to be true. You know, if we were to look at developing countries or periods in history where food was restricted, 
we don't find spontaneous weight gain. And I don't want to mm. use these examples lightly, but I feel like we've gotten this message so convoluted in the U.S. that just to pull it back to this level, I think hopefully is helpful. You know, you hear about starvation mode in the U.S. and in mainstream media and how that caused people to gain weight. Well, my stepfather is from Calcutta, India, and, you know, I've been there a few times. Beautiful country. It's, it's been absolutely some of my favorite memories. And there's levels of poverty there that do not exist in the U.S., you know, and I've passed thousands and thousands of beggars and I've not seen one with excess weight, not one. Mm. You know, you look up the statistics of what malnutrition and starvation does in these countries and deaths from starvation. That's what happens. It's not weight gain, right? When we remove cheaply, availably, calorically dense food, no one gains weight. No one gains weight. We know this to be true. Okay. So I think one more issue kind of inside oh, of right. this, the, the umbrella of yeah, but still not losing weight. Right. What's the third? The third one. Yeah. You know, I think this comes up in the reverse dieting podcast we talked about, but it's this idea of should I eat more? Again, if you're not losing weight, by definition, you are not in a caloric deficit. And in the reverse dieting podcast, we, we talked about somebody who might actually want to try this method of eating more. And we used a very extreme example somebody who's bodybuilding, again, we're going to use a woman typically because they have less calories, but suppose that she's eating, you know, 1000 calories a day doing three hours of cardio and she, and she's trying to lose weight to get stage ready. To be clear for her to get stage ready in the next, whatever, one or two weeks for her to lose more body fat, she would need to decrease her calories further. Now I'm not recommending people eat less than a thousand calories a day. I'm just trying to explain this in terms of how weight loss works. How she would go about potentially eating more is something that may pay off for her in the long term. She eats more in terms of, of course, calories and macronutrients. She will gain weight. In that weight gain process, she is increasing her metabolism. Simply means she's using more calories. And she will gain as much weight as she feels acceptable to increase the number of total calories she gets to eat per day. And the hope is that next time she diets down by reducing her calories, of course, to lose weight, she doesn't have to reduce all the way down to a thousand that mm -hmm. maybe she can get to the level of leanness stage ready lean at 1200 calories or 1300, something like that. So what people miss in this eating more concept of reverse dieting is that eating more will result in weight gain and that it's maybe, maybe you reduce the deficit that you have to get to go to for your goal weight. And so I wanted to talk a little bit about why this happens and, and slightly differently than I did in the reverse dieting podcast. And again, it's because your body adjusts based on how much food you're giving it, right? Your body adjusts metabolism, how it burns calories. And if you eat less, your metabolism slows, which everyone fears, but it's really mm. just a natural response to getting less food in the system. Said another way, when your metabolism slows, you become more efficient. You need less calories to accomplish the same task. As an example, suppose you eat an apple, it gives you a certain amount of energy, maybe you get enough energy to walk around the block. Now, because you're restricting food intake, you're eating less. Maybe when you eat an apple, you now get the energy to walk around a block and a half. And so basically you eat less and you get more energy out of it. It's a mm -hmm. natural response to a decreased food supply. And this is the starvation mode that everybody worries about. The problem is there's not much that we can do about it 
it's it's a natural process that's going to occur kind of with thyroid regulation. And so what we do about it is we continue to restrict food and we increase exercise. Because <laughs> unless you're planning on taking some type of hormone replacement therapy, I don't I don't really know what you're going to do about it. Mm-hmm. Your body becomes more efficient in how it creates energy. And, and that's what we have to do to combat it. And most of us are not going to get to, thank God, a thousand calories a day and doing cardio for three hours a day. We're not trying to get to this sub 10% body fat level of leanness for females, for bodybuilders. And think about how extreme that is. They're approaching essential levels of body fat. You can understand why the body is becoming so efficient at the calories it takes in. It is truly fear of starvation. Meanwhile, mm. you know, I deal with people more in the 20, 25% range more of the healthy ranges, like we're not even in the same ballpark of the body becoming so efficient. (laughs) Like we're nowhere near the like essential levels of body fat. So how much the metabolism really slows in this weight loss process, especially when we're in these normal healthy levels is very questionable. And and we talked about that a little bit more at length in that reverse dieting podcast. Mm. You mentioned hormone replacement therapy. Is that worth unpacking a little bit and just drilling into a bit? Yeah. I mean, I think when we think about hormone replacement therapy, we often think about testosterone or estrogen, Mm -hmm. and that certainly is a type of hormone replacement therapy. But we also could be talking about thyroid, hypothyroid, low thyroid. Effectively, yes, you become more efficient at creating energy than somebody, if you are hypothyroid, you're more efficient at creating energy than someone of your equal height, weight, sex, activity level, et cetera. So again, said another way, you would get fewer calories to maintain the same weight if you're hypothyroid. Now, the first thing, just to sort of hammer this from a theoretical, conceptual understanding, is that person, to lose weight, would still have to eat less calories. (laughs) The answer is consistent here, absent of any hormone replacement therapy. What gets hard is that, you know, sometimes these people truly are eating very low caloric intakes, right? They might be somewhere below 1,500, and and that's just a really tough thing to, to sustain day after day. But... What I want to mention here also with hypothyroid is that it tends to come with some other symptoms, that it's not just about resistant weight loss, that people tend to have other things going on with that. And it does affect, on average, women more so than men. You know, it depends on what age range range we're looking at, but women somewhere in the 35 to 65-year-old age bracket, it could be upwards of 7 to 15% of women are affected, and men, it's Mm. only like 2 to 4%. So it's not... I don't want to say it's common, but it's definitely not rare. And so when people are 100% compliant, they're like, no, 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 I have the data. Here's four weeks of data. I know everything that went in my mouth. I'm perfect on this. I am not losing weight. The calories are really low for what I would expect them to be. This is when I suggest going to a doctor or DO, right? Because this is where they're going to check your thyroid levels, see what they are. And like I said, hypothyroidism is is common enough that it's it's worth going to check if you've truly ride the avenues of being consistent with, with quantity intake. Maybe as we start to wrap this up, maybe, maybe a summary, maybe a quick kind of recap of everything we talked about, as well as if there's anything in there that we didn't touch on yet worth talking about. Again, how do we measure quantity? How do we measure what you're eating in terms of overall food, how much calories or macronutrients? That's it. And you're eating the right amount of calories or macronutrients if you are maintaining a healthy weight and your health markers are in healthy ranges and, and they're stable there. And you can figure out how much you should be eating by looking at the current inputs and outputs to the system. The inputs being your current diet, the outputs being your current weight and your body composition. And, and the concepts, are, I think, are really simple. Where we get tripped up is, is doing it 
because it requires mm. a lot of work. It, it's a pain. I mean, I'll be the first one to tell you weighing and measuring your food is, is not fun. But I think that's sort of where we get caught. You know, we keep trying to get around the action of doing this. And at some point when you're just frustrated and when you've done too many shortcuts or hacks or, or whatever it may be, it's worth just kind of diving into the numbers and really doing it so you get your answer. And of course, you'll have the opportunity to do that with my masterclass that is starting on Sunday, September 12th. So we're within two weeks and the next live group is happening. So I really encourage people if they are struggling with this concept, how do the numbers all fit together? How do you know which numbers are good for you? That you have an opportunity to do that with me and I am there to help you through it. So yeah, I think we'll have a link in the in the show notes. Thank you, EC. Thank you, everybody out there for listening. As always, thank you for your ratings and your reviews. They do help new folks find the show, so keep them coming. And EC and I will be back next week for another episode of The Consistency Project. see here. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen to the show. Thank you as well for all the support for the five-star ratings and the reviews and for telling your friends or family about the podcast that really does help the podcast grow. And if you want to get the most recent info from me and be up to date on all of my content, the best place for that is my email list. So you can subscribe at optimizemenutrition.com slash email. I send out emails weekly-ish, <laughs> and that's also the best place to get your question in the queue for Quick Bites episodes. So again, that's optimizemenutrition.com slash email, and there's also a link in the show notes.